So I don't know what you know about superhero movies and shows, but this is not your typical superhero story. Uh, I think we are all used to a pretty straightforward good versus evil story though, right? You have a good guy or a good team versus the bad guy. And so whether you are familiar with WandaVision, which is the trailer you just saw, or the, grave, or the greater Marvel universe, uh, here's what you need to know about these superheroes, okay? They are not perfect, and they are very complicated. Does that sound familiar at all? It's pretty relatable, because I think we regular humans can relate to that, because you are not perfect, and neither am I. And we are complex and capable of sometimes only looking out for ourselves. Welcome to church, so glad you're here. You know, just, just like trying to humble you really quick. Well, so are the superheroes that we watch on the screen. And in this show, it's not a movie, it's a show. In the show, uh, Wanda is no different. Wanda, you guys are figuring this out really quick. Wanda, the first half of WandaVision. We are introduced, just to give a little bit of history, we are introduced to Wanda, the female lead of WandaVision. Uh, years ago, if you are familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we met her in Avengers Age of Ultron, where she is actually the bad guy, one of the bad guys. And she has a unique connection to something called an Infinity Stone, which is just a super powerful gem, okay? That's all you need to know, okay? Not to get too much into the details and nerd out like Chris Merrifield, but I'll just, I'll, I'll keep it like this. Wanda was brought up with this special connection with this Infinity Stone. Uh, let's see, powers like telekinesis, uh, telekinesis energy manipulation. She can read thoughts and give you waking nightmares. She was pretty terrible, okay? That, that's who she was. And, and so that was in 2012. In that movie, uh, Wanda, though, she eventually realizes that she is being manipulated by this bigger bad guy named Ultron, and she becomes a good guy, if you will. She joins the Avengers to help take him down, and Wanda is now on our side. And that's great. Does that make sense? We're good, right? Wanda is now like good, okay. So the show though, it's called WandaVision. It's all one word, it's all together. So what's a vision? Is she having visions? Like what is going on? Well, vision is another individual. Vision is someone that we also met in that same movie in 2012, Age of Ultron. And he is also created by Ultron to destroy the Avengers, to destroy the good guys, okay? Ultron wants this perfect body to annihilate our heroes, so he pieces together this vibranium-based android. Vibranium is this fictional metal found on Earth. It's the strongest metal in the world. Uh, but this android is unique because this android is given an infinity stone, and it's housed in his head, right in his forehead, to make him even more powerful. He is actually, at that point, one of the most powerful creatures in that universe. However, Ultron's plan doesn't work, and the android body he created comes to life and chooses peace over destruction. This creature is given the name Vision 
created to be the most powerful villain ever, but Vision chooses good over evil and actually helps destroy Ultron in that movie. Sorry if I spoiled that movie. It's 10 years, okay, past. I, I think I'm pretty safe to say that. So just to simplify it for everyone, in case you just were like, okay, I'm really checked out already. Here it is. Okay. Wanda was bad. Wanda is now good. Okay? And she is super powerful. Vision was created to be bad. Vision chose to be good and is super powerful. And so, since the 10 years when we met them, uh, Wanda and Vision actually became romantically involved. They fall in love. But it all comes tragically undone in the movie Avengers Infinity War as a new big bad grimace looking guy shows up. His name is Thanos. And Thanos has one mission. He wants to collect these six infinity stones and he wants to decimate the universe. And one of those infinity stones is where? It's in Vision's forehead. And so you kind of see where this is going. So to make a very long, epic story short, Thanos eventually overpowers Wanda and rips the Infinity Stone from Vision's head in front of her, killing him in the process. And plenty of other things take place in the story, uh, and they are incredible. But to fast forward, uh, the rest of the heroes eventually defeat Thanos uh, but what's been done to Vision is done. There's no going back. There's no redoing it. Vision is dead. He is gone. And so we find Wanda completely alone, and she's lost the love of her life. And this is where we find the show Wanda Vision. Through her grief and her superpowers, Wanda actually constructs a completely false reality and, and reimagines a life where Vision lived, and where they actually were married, where they had twin boys, and they lived that quintessential American dream suburban life. But again, it's all made up. None of it is real. She's just using her powers to manipulate the environment to create this. And so in the trailer, that is why you saw, if you're unfamiliar, in the trailer you saw uh, different decades right? Represented. It starts out in black and white, reminiscent of the Dick Van Dyke show, maybe bewitched, and it, and it moves forward through the decades. But again, she's created this false world where everything she wanted to be true exists, even though it doesn't. And that sounds very complicated. And it, actually, it is. It is. <laughs> it, it is pretty complicated. So why are we taking all this time to learn about the backstory of these characters? You know, the gospel according to WandaVision. What, why are we doing this today? Well, because WandaVision is unlike anything that Marvel Studios has ever produced, and it tackles something very, very difficult. It tackles loss, and it tackles grief. And while that is super serious, and, and we will get there, WandaVision, you know, it's, it's also a lot of fun. You know, Wanda, she doesn't just create her own world for her family to exist in but she recreates her family inside her favorite TV shows uh, and has her family exist within those. So there are great callbacks and references, like I said, to Dick Van Dyke 
uh, I Love Lucy, The Twilight Zone, The Brady Bunch, Mary Tyler Moore, Full House, Malcolm in the Middle, and Modern Family, to, to list some. And as you watch the show, you do get a nostalgia for these decades. But of course, that is all a backdrop for Wanda needing to deal with her grief. Her husband, Vision, he is dead. Her children, they never existed. And these fake friendships that she has created in this simulated world, they are fake. And she's running from her grief. So in short, if you're taking notes, uh, a WandaVision is an allegory for sorrow, mourning, and grief. What makes WandaVision worth your time? And I mean that. It is very good. If you haven't watched it, I'm not really going to spoil stuff for you today. It is worth your time if you have Disney+. Plus. What makes it worth your time is how relatable the characters are. Because they are flawed, they are selfish, they seek to find meaning and purpose as they deal with the struggles of life. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about that and things like grief. Uh, one of the most quoted verses about grief comes from Revelation 21.4. Uh, the Bible says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that is a very hopeful Bible verse, isn't it? It's very hopeful that one day death will be defeated, and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more grief. And I think it really should inspire some hope in you today, some hope in us today. However, that's not the world that we live in right now. And I, and I do see this in, in Christian faith sometimes, in, in certain Christian circles. I think some of us can fall into the trap of walking through grief, but never actually grieving. That yes, we have this promise from Revelation 21, but church, it's a future promise, not a present reality. It's a future promise to put you know, some, some, some of our hope in but that's not our world today. It's not our present reality. Now, it's not done intentionally, but I think in response to grief, many Christians actually do a Wanda impersonation. Instead of dealing with our grief and embracing the battle of pain and loss, we create a world where we don't have to deal with our, our hurt. And we read Revelation 21.4. We claim this promise. Yes, it's true. It's true for me right here, right now. It's a future promise, not a present reality, though. That's not how grief works, is what I'm saying. I can, I can hope for this. I can hope for this future. But that doesn't make it real to me right here, right now. Because people die. Friendships abruptly end. Your, your, your favorite pet is here one day and gone the next. You are healthy one day and diagnosed the next. We exist in a broken world, and yet we want so desperately to live in a perfect world that we don't know how to properly grieve. In your life, what have you avoided grieving just because it's simply too painful? What are we actually running from? Church, it may sound may sound strange, but could I actually encourage you toward grief today? This isn't going to be a super heavy sort of sermon where we're, you know, solving the world's greatest problems with grief, but I do hope it is reflective 
it causes us to pause. It causes us to consider maybe some things that we don't want to approach. I just want to encourage you to stop avoiding maybe some things in your past, some traumas, and instead embrace the journey that is grief. Because at one point in the show, WandaVision, vision is actually realized. He, 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 he begins to develop awareness enough. He realizes what is actually going on, that he is just a projection from his wife. He's not real. And she's projecting her grief, and she's not dealing with anything. And vision says something so profound, you should see it on the screen. He says, what is grief if not love persevering? He's, he's really challenging her. If you really loved me, wouldn't you grieve? And I love that. I think that's the point of grief. The point of grief is love. And that's what makes it more difficult because grief forces us to realize we have all this love within us and no one to give it to. And the weight of that can be crushing. As it says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so if you are grieving, if you have lost someone you love, you, you have the promise of God's presence and the fact that he saves the crushed in spirit. But let's, let's, let's go here. Go with me. But when we deny ourselves the blessing of grief, you deny yourself the comfort of God. Because we're just running, or, or you know, like in the show, she's created this false reality. Listen, we're, we're not so different. We, we, we create false identities, or we try to disassociate from things that, and keep things at a distance that we need to embrace and work through. Why? Because it's, it, grieving is healthy, but we are comforted by our Creator. And so, if you can, or if you're able, I do, I, I want you to save this sermon, or, or save the notes you're taking from this sermon, not because I think I've put together this great message, but because I want to point you to the promises from God as you grieve, because I don't think, I don't think it's something we embrace often. Because the haunting truth of being human is that grief will always find you. It will always find you. And so maybe you're listening today and you are not grieving. Life is great. And I mean this. Praise God. Okay? I, I mean this. Praise God. And I don't mean to be a total downer here. Also, just wait. Grief always finds us. And how we deal with that grief reveals a lot about us, and it reveals a lot about your faith. It reveals a lot about your relationship with control. So I want to share some observations that I've found in, in piecing this sermon together uh, in light of WandaVision, uh, just about grief, just about loss. Uh, and so if we could go there for today, uh, my first point, and maybe I'm cheating, my first point is, is a quote. And, and maybe that's not what I'm supposed to be doing, but that's, that's what we're doing today. The, the first point is, is from Pastor Mike Foster. Uh, Mike said, emotions must flow like water or else they will turn into concrete. 
And so from that, what, what, what I'm gathering is that we are to pay attention to what takes place inside our heart. Because there's a part of you that wants to block it. There's a part of me that wants to block grief. And I want to be strong for other people. But emotions are not meant to be stopped. They are meant to flow. And as, as parents, my wife and I, we have worked very hard at this. Um, but we refuse, we've learned at least, to refuse to tell our kids in the midst of a breakdown. And it's so tempting. Still, it's tempting. But refusing to say, stop crying. Stop feeling your emotions. Stop crying. It's always, always, always terrible advice. <laughs> stop crying. I mean, imagine what your response would be to a fellow adult who says that to you. It, it, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't go well. Because tears are the heart's way of communicating, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And listen, if I could magically stop crying, I would. But to say something like that, stop crying, it's, it's, it's very invalidating. It's a way of, of telling someone your thoughts and feelings don't matter. Stop that. You see, emotions, they must flow like water or else they will turn into concrete. Or just to get really biblical here, you, you will get a hard heart. It's totally possible to lose your ability to empathize with others because you've become so hardened to your own emotions. And so in our house, imperfectly, but this is our goal, in our house, when we have a child falling apart, I, I really don't think they need our harsh words so much as our attention in our presence. I think it's completely appropriate to help them compose themselves, yes. Help them take a deep breath and listen to them. Or if you don't want to believe me, let's, let's believe the words of Jesus. He says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Look at that last word, comforted. Not chastised. Not belittled. Not told, suck it up. Comforted, held, heard. That's the kind of father God is. That's the, kind, that's the kind of God that we have. He is our example of being comforting toward those we love. And, and don't even get me started on the, the stupid. I'll, I'll say that word. I'll say the S word in church. It's stupid. Don't even get me started on the stupid statement, real men don't cry. It's literally unbiblical. You think you're more of a man than Jesus? You know, like, like come on. Like, let's not do that. See, allowing emotion to flow, it is needed because it starts in the heart, doesn't it? Like, like when, when you think back to a, to a time you got just horrible news or, or something took place, it, it's this heart pain. And, and it has its way of going up to your throat and, and you can't even talk. And eventually it goes to your eyes. And truth be told, to attempt to block our grief is really a betrayal of what we lost. Because we're acting as if it didn't exist or it didn't mean that much to us. When really it had a profound impact on you. Allow, allow your emotions to flow and be comforted by your Heavenly Father as you mourn. My second observation, and these are kind of just a little bit all over. These are just observations. Memorials and tributes are necessary. I had a, a distant relative uh, 
passed away uh, this past year. And um, it was grieving someone in my family because they didn't do a memorial. And they said it was a waste of time. And it wasn't because he was some terrible person. It's just they, they said, we don't have time for this. No memorial, no tribute. They just wanted to move on. But I think they're necessary. Shared memories coming together to grieve and share and even celebrate. It's all necessary. And that's why, honestly, memorials and funerals, they are needed. I don't know if you know this or not. Those aren't for the dead. Okay, they can't hear anything you're saying, right? But they're for the living. They're for those of us who are saying goodbye so that we can find some closure as we come together in corporate grief and we share and we laugh and we cry and we mourn. But you hear this all the time. Oh, I just, I hate funerals. I just don't know how to act. It's because we don't like to be sad, right? Who, who actually wants to be sad, right? Who, who wants to watch sad videos on YouTube all day? Like, like no one pursues sadness out of the, goes out of their way to do it, but it's necessary. And so a memorial, it helps us through the grief, not just move on from the person. The story doesn't just move on. Okay, I'm done and I'm done with that person. But the story actually moves forward. And it may be difficult to believe, but the Bible says, even though we experience feelings of misery and, and grief, the Bible says it's good for us. It's good for us to make tributes and gather in memorials. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, it is better. Church, just pause right there. It's better, okay? What's about to come is better. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every person. The living should take this to heart. In other words, God is saying it's better to go to a memorial than to go to a Super Bowl party. It is better for your soul to walk through a cemetery than to stand and cheer at a, at a local game. Because I think God knows what we need because a memorial gives us time to celebrate the life that God gave our loved one. I'm like, yes, we're sad. But we also need to remember their uniqueness and what they meant to us. And grief will always come out. And unfortunately, I think it, it often comes out as anger. It can be years, it can be months and years later. But if we haven't grieved, it must come out and it will find an avenue to come out. Proper grief isn't done in isolation either, but it's done together. One of the biggest mistakes I think that we make when we grieve is also comparing our grief. Have you heard this? That's my third observation. Hey, don't compare your grief. Well, you know, kids, kids are starving somewhere else. It's not that bad. Well, there are people who actually never knew their parents. I shouldn't feel so bad. Well, at least you didn't lose your loved one the way that someone else did. That was terrible. That was tragic. Mine was this. Don't compare your grief. We are never, never, never to compare our grief because, again, it's ultimately a form of control. I don't want to be sad. And because some people have it worse, I don't need to grieve. You hear how, let's use a Gen Z term, you hear how toxic that is? Like, like come on for a sec. Like, like, do you hear that, right? 
There's this idea that comes in to shrink your grief. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be judged because some people have it worse, whatever. Listen, there is so much loss and grief in the world that if you really believe you shouldn't be sad because someone else has it worse, then honestly, you can never grieve. And that's preposterous. Uh, I, I think back to years ago when we lived in Michigan, um, and, it, and it's, it's fine to laugh at this, okay? It really is, uh, while, while it may be serious for others. Um, I officiated my first, and currently only, I officiated my first cat funeral for someone in our church. And yes, yes, it was, it was it's totally real. Um, and I still, like, kind of chuckle at it a little bit, you know. But, but remember, a funeral is not for the dead, no matter if it's human or a cat, okay? But it's an opportunity for closure for the living, okay? And, and I remember we, it is a more kind of comedic story. I won't get into, maybe that's another day. I'll, I'll get into that. You learn crazy things in ministry, but we buried this, this cat and, and the owner, he was just literally wailing, just so upset. And in that moment, it wasn't that I'm so brilliant or I'm so wise or anything. I, I really felt like the Lord just helped me see him. Because he had a lot of things in his life fall apart in the months leading up to this. And he loved this cat so much. And the cat passed away and, and, it, and he didn't see it come in. And so he was so upset and he was grieving and he was literally on his knees crying. Um, and it just opened up my heart to recognize he's grieving the loss of so much. And it's just represented in this, this silly little cat to me. But like, he is honestly grieving and this is healthy for him. It is good for him. The best thing I can do right now is be quiet. And just let him feel all of this. And so he did. And we prayed. And, and he, he started, you know, in the days and weeks moving forward, he continued to process that grief. But it meant so much more than just a pet. It was, it was more to him. And, and grief, again, it, it must come out. And, and if it doesn't come out in sadness and mourning, again, it will come out in pain. It will come out in anger. I mean, have you ever met someone who's always angry? It's like the smallest thing. Burger King leaves the mayonnaise on their sandwich and they throw it against the wall, you know, like, like, just me? Okay, whatever. Guess I know all the weirdos. You don't, right? But it's true. People walk around angry, but we, we hear this quite a bit. Like, oh, you're not angry, you're hurt, right? And I think grief is, is certainly in there somewhere. They're just walking around with wounds. Because if we don't deal with our grief, it will bleed out onto others. And that is no way to live. Um, another observation on grief. Um, is that, and this is, again, also me just being really, really honest. I, I, I do hate grief, and I hate this idea, and this is why. Number four, grief, it just exposes your needs. Because I like to be so independent, and I like to be strong, and I like to be there for others. I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm doing as a pastor, right? I'm, I, I love to be there for other people in their grief, and then when grief finds me, it's like I want to be strong. And so I don't know if you're a proud person or not. I just me, but I don't want to need others. 
But when I do that, I'm really living a lie. In, in the show, Wanda, actually, she, she, she chose isolation even though she was surrounded by others and friends that wanted to help her and help her grieve. But she chose loneliness, and some of us are not so different. I think one of the most difficult things about grief is managing our need for others because it comes with complications. If you're familiar with the Bible, you, you've heard the story of Job. It's, it's perhaps the oldest story in the Bible, the oldest thing written. And Job's friends, they were there for him. And listen, it was going so well until they opened their mouths. But it was going well before then, right? And it all just went south from there. And they accused Job of, of secret sin. They accused Job of being disobedient to God. And they began telling him what they thought he needed. And listen, when, when you are in grief, your needs get exposed. And you know you need people. But church, you need the right people. Have you ever been vulnerable with the wrong person? And you're like, never again. I'll never, ever be vulnerable again. Okay, don't go that route, but just maybe be smart. <laughs> Find the right people. It's a lot to consider because it's hard to open up when you may feel wrongly judged, right? But we need the right people to help us grieve. People who won't wrongly judge us, but they will support us because we all grieve differently. And because we all grieve differently, we all have different needs. And so, yes, grief exposes our needs. So if you know someone processing grief, be their biggest supporter. Call them and text them and, and, and pray for them. Send them encouragement. Whether they say it or not, they are in need because that is just what grief does. No, I'm fine. I'm good. Don't buy it. But, but support them and pray for them. Go to them. The fifth and the last one, just observation on grief. And this was probably one of the more difficult realities that just sunk in, is that grief is love with nowhere to go. Frustration and sadness and bargaining will come because you have love to give, but you no longer have anywhere or anyone to give it to. And so it's, I, one pastor put it this way when he was talking about grief. He said, it's as if you prepared this big, beautiful dinner. You invited so many people. You put in so much energy and effort and no one shows up. It is a loneliness. It's an ache of the heart. It's a betrayal of your emotions, it feels like. Grief is love with nowhere to go. Love that is stranded. And God knows this. In Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10, uh, the Bible says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. This is David, and, and David describes this grief in different ways because grief doesn't just affect one area of your life, 
but it affects every area of your life. It's, it is, grief is physical, grief is emotional, it is social, and it is spiritual. Grief doesn't fit neatly into one area where you can just cry at 9 p.m. every night and then act like everything else in your life is great and work is fine and social situations are great. Grief is, is just like love in the opposite direction. If, if you have ever fallen in love, you know like it affects every area of your life. It kind of elevates every single area of your life. And grief is like the opposite reaction. If I were to put everything that we've kind of discussed today into a single sentence, it's this. Uh, ultimately, the experience of grief is the collision all the treasured past and all the missed future coming together in immense sadness. All the memories from the past are present. And the hopelessness of a future with your loved one is realized. And here you are at the intersection of both. And it's like this collision isn't a one-time event either. It's like it just comes in waves over and over and over. This past September was the 20-year anniversary of the, of the 9-11 terrorist attacks that took place in our country. And I was 11 at the time. And that happened, but as I re-watched some of these old videos just this past September, of these ordinary peoples who stepped up and they actually were heroes. And I'm re-watching this and, you know, um, to a certain extent, just showing my boys, you know, what, what happened that day and, and how it affected me. And I didn't realize it, but I just started crying. The, the, the heartache was there. It came up into my throat and all of a sudden I couldn't talk. And I just started crying. And it was like I felt it all over again. And I was telling my sons about this and, and how scary it was. And church, this immense grief from decades ago just, just washed back over me to the point I couldn't talk. And grief is so strange like that. Something from so long ago can come roaring back and it's like it happened that morning, right? No matter if you lost a loved one, 20 years ago or 20 days ago, grief remains because grief is love with nowhere to go. And our hearts are never the same. But there's hope. Your heart will never be the same, but it will recover. We can seek healing, we can grieve. It takes time, it takes help, it takes prayer. But no, we're never the same. At least not here on earth. And so if you're with us and you've never lost someone close to you, let me attempt to describe one last truth. As you grieve, you recognize even the smallest tasks seem impossible. No more grocery runs. 
with your loved one. No more walks around the neighborhood together. No more hearing their presence in your home while you're in the other room doing something else. Lost are the subtle noises of life in your home, but a haunting silence actually remains. So all of this is just terrible, isn't it? Like, like, isn't it just all so heavy? Kind of feels like we're at a funeral right now. Welcome to Sunday morning church. But with all of this, everything we've talked about, what are we to do? Where do we place this hope? Can we even hope again? I want to invite our worship team up as I read from Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, it often gets read in this context. Uh, you know, I, let me read it and then I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Psalm 23, just one through six. I think some of us even have this memorized. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there is so much to unpack here. We could preach a sermon on this alone. But here's what I want you to walk away with today. Grief will come. Hardships will find you. You will experience significant loss. So don't be surprised. But as we grieve, God is near. Even when you walk through the very shadow of death, we do not have to fear because God is with us. The coming promise is ahead of us. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain. The former things will pass away. We all have a choice. So may you choose to grieve. May we grieve and grieve well. May we lean on others and accept their help because you are not Superman and you need others. I need others. May we choose not to run from grief, but embrace it. Because as we embrace the struggle, we find the presence of God. Heavenly Father, no matter where we are at today, you see us. You know us and you love us. And so, Father, I, my, my prayer today is that as we reflect and consider the weight of of some things in our lives that we would embrace grief. We wouldn't run from it, but we would sit with it because you are with us. You are near.
And so I pray today that maybe we just need to sit down this morning. Maybe we need to come forward and, and just ask for prayer wherever we're at. You will meet us there. So meet us in this place this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.